0: a new section. We've titled it Trivial Pursuits. Trivial Pursuits. I don't know if you grew up playing that game. If you didn't grow up playing that game, maybe you just didn't grow up or maybe you just have never played that game. I don't know what it is, but we used to play it whenever we went to a couple of pizza parlors. They'd always have the game right in the middle of the table. Uh, They had the cards in which to play the game and it was quite funny reading the cards because The information on the cards was purely trivial. It didn't really mean much. Um, And it didn't make much... It didn't help you with wisdom in any way. Uh, It certainly didn't help us in digesting the food we were about ready to eat. Um, And I'm not so sure that the prayer in which we prayed helped us digest the food we were about ready to eat when we stuffed our face with lots of pizza. But uh, Trivial Pursuits is the title... And you'll understand this as we go through the introduction of this next section, as we go through and look at four pursuits that Solomon went after with the gusto in his life. And what does that teach us? And so that's where we're going to go. But let's read verses 12 through 18 as we just get the introduction to this section this morning. I, the preacher, Uh, By the way, the same word for Ecclesiastes. Did you know that Ecclesiastes is the same word for preacher or one who gathers people to hear the reading or hear the proclamation of God's word? That's what the the word preacher in Hebrew means, Ecclesiastes. So that's why it's hard to say, by the way, if you're wondering, (laughs) Ecclesiastes. It says, I, the Ecclesiastes, or I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has, uh, has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that it is also it is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wow, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Trivial pursuits. He's introducing the fact that he Solomon goes on this introduction, and he goes all the way through chapter 2, sharing that he... He is the wisest one that has ever lived, uh, and Rob beautifully shepherd our hearts towards the understanding of the wisdom that God gave Solomon, that it was a wisdom above all wisdom. It was literally God's wisdom to be infused with God's wisdom, and he applied it in a way that God did not intend, and we saw there was one thing that brought Solomon's Uh, downfall in using wisdom one thing and it was beautiful the way that rob uh, wrapped that package up for us and that was literally his disobedience in using that wisdom he simply did not apply or obey god in one small little area but here we have he says look I am going to use that wisdom that God gave me and I'm going to apply it to search out and to pursue all of these different things in life. And he's going to show how trivial they really are. It's amazing as he talks about this this pursuit. What's amazing is as we see how unreliable um, these pursuits are. I don't have my clicker, so I just I'll point at you. <laughs> but here's the thing that we want to see. Here's the main point of what Solomon is telling us in this introduction. When a believer pursues anything without God being at the center of his life, he will wind up empty and miserable. Trivial. If you pursue, no matter how much wisdom, how much knowledge you have, if you're seeking wisdom, you're seeking knowledge, you're seeking whatever it is, whatever the the pursuit is, without God, it becomes trivial. Solomon did that. I mean, think about the one man that could pursue every single thing under the sun, that which is apart from God, that's here on earth, Solomon fits the bill. Literally, he's saying that it's going to leave you completely empty and miserable if you pursue anything apart from God. So we're going to look at verse 12. We see part of this this main point is this. We need to remember that it's important to remember who Solomon was. In verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, have been. Do you notice that have been? As he writes Ecclesiastes, he's saying that I have been the king. Everything he has done, he's he at the end of his life, he's towards the end. He has been the king. And if you go to 1 Kings chapter 3, you can see in all of chapter three and all of chapter four, we're not going to read all of it for the sake of time. You will notice all that God did through Solomon. Solomon was asked, I will give you anything you want. And he says, I need wisdom. God gave it to him in droves of wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God to experience, to be able to understand. In a skillful way, every single thing known to man. That's the wisdom that God gave him. But not only that, he has been the king. That's in the perfect tense. Solomon had been king for for some point in the past, and he continued to be king at this point as he writes this. It serves to show us all the things that he experienced Do you understand that how the word of Solomon's wisdom had spread? In 1 Kings chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll see that because he was king, he didn't have to travel to the ends of the earth. You will notice that it says that all the ends of the earth came to Solomon. How did Solomon experience everything? And how was he able to pursue every little thing under the sun? How could he say that everything in the, in that we pursue in life is just meaningless? How could he say that? Fruitless. Because God brought the world to Solomon. That's who he was. As we see and as, as we go this, he was over qualified to pursue everything he's overqualified to tell us that these things that we pursue in life are trivial he has the right to say it he's been qualified our explorations in life no matter what they are will be very meager compared to his he had wealth he had wisdom and he had the blessing from God. He's on a whole different level. He's playing a whole different ball game. He's at a whole different speed in life. He gained a whole different mass of wealth. He had a whole different mass of wisdom. So verse 12 shows us who he was. Verse 13 Shows us what he did with who he was, what he did. Do you notice what Solomon did in verse 13? I applied my heart to seek. He starts saying, Well, this is what I did while I was king in Israel. This is what I did with the wisdom that was given me. Look, do you see that? He says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. What he's saying, with the wisdom that was given him, I'm going to, to search out and to seek everything. Literally, he's saying, I've set my mind to this task. He's saying, I set my mind to pursue all of these different avenues in life. When he says, I've applied my heart, or in your translation, might say, I set my heart, it's the idea that he made it his core Desire. Again, do you understand what he's saying? God gave him all of the wisdom of the ages to understand everything under the sun. And what did he do? How did he apply himself? Look at what he did. Did he seek God as his core value in life? No, he left that. And he said... His core desire was to seek everything under the sun. To pursue. Literally, he wanted to devote his heart's ambition. His core desire was to pursue everything under the sun. A worldly pursuit. The idea, by the way, to seek and to search out. these In the Hebrew, these are scientific terms to scientifically to understand everything and how it works. He was going to apply understanding scientifically with wisdom how everything should be understood and how it works in life. That was his pursuit. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you've witnessed people like that and you try to talk to them about the Lord and their whole idea is they need to understand. They just want to understand. That's what Solomon was after in verse 13. He, frankly, he's the most brilliant student that ever lived. God said it and he remembered everything. How would you like to be able to teach a student like that? <laughs> How would you like to be a student like that? You read God's Word, God says, "Here, read it, know it, apply it and do it, right? Apply it to your life. How would you wouldn't that be amazing just to read everything written here and immediately just understand it all and be able to recall it at every single minute and just do it and never? I mean, that's what Solomon, that's the wisdom that Solomon had. But he did it apart from God. That's what under the sun means. He didn't focus on anything that was about God, but the total understanding of the things on earth. So look at verses 14 and 15 and the end of... of, uh, of 13. It's important to see what Solomon saw. We see that what he did. We see who he was. This is what he did. He said, I'm going to pursue everything. That's my core desire is to understand everything in a scientific understanding, using all the wisdom that God has given me to see what it was. This is what he saw. In verse 14, he says, I have seen. So he's telling us what he saw. Well, we see at the end of verse 13, he gives us a glimpse. He says, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is the first time that Solomon uses the word God. You know, it's not God, Yahweh, or the covenant God, or the God, the great I Am, who explains God's holiness and all the greatness of God. This is God Elohim. This is God Elohim. He's saying, this is the creator God. Elohim was known to be, they used it in terms of referring to God the creator. Um, And it was kind of, remember when Paul was in, in, uh, in Acts 17 and he says, you are worshiping the unknown God? And he says, hey, I know the God, and he uses the word Elohim, the creator God. I know the God of creation. You're worshiping the God who's created everything. And he goes on and he starts in creation with who God is and then he preaches him to Christ. It's important to understand that this is the God that he uses here. It's an unhappy business that God has given. This is what he saw. Number one is He came to five conclusions. He says, we have been given an unpleasant task. While he's talking about the creator God, and when he uses the term the children of man, you know it's not the children of men. He's not talking about the whole world. He's talking about the children of Adam. It's it's Adam, the children of man. He's talking about what happened to Adam and Eve. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. It's too good just to, for me to paraphrase it. So I want us to go back to Genesis 3. So when he, in verse 13, when he says, This is what I saw, and, he, and as I searched out wisdom, and I, uh, and I used my wisdom to look at all these pursuits in life, and I put my heart in, my whole heart to it, my whole core of my being, I saw that what God gave man is very unpleasant. What did, what did He give man? Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, right? And Adam complained and says, it was that woman you gave me, right? Adam, 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 (laughs) right? Where were you when Eve was being deceived, right? So men, you're not off the hook, right? Yes, Eve sinned, but you did too (laughs) by just watching it. Here's the thing. They sinned. And what were the consequences of sin? Look at verse 14. And after God said, what have you done? Right? Of course, God knew what he did. They did. It was kind of a rhetorical question. He already knew the answer. But he said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you should go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, hey, before you forget it, we talk about the serpent, they are like, they're describing a snake, right? You know, uh, a few of you know what I'm talking about. You absolutely hate the sight of them. I think they're quite fascinating myself. But whatever the reason was, before sin, Eve was not afraid of the serpent. But for some reason, after sin, serpent is cursed. Majority of the world is afraid of the serpent, unless you're silly like me and think they're kind of Cool. Or cute. I don't know what's one or the other. I see kittens. Other people see demons. I don't. I don't get it. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. God cursed them, and it's obvious because a lot of people are afraid of them, of of serpents. But look at verse 15. What he says to the woman: "I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking about the serpent. I will and between your offspring and her offspring, and you shall bruise." Uh, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. And that's talking about the coming of Christ. He's going to, the serpent's going to just inflict a heel wound on Christ. When Christ died on the cross, that was not a head wound. But when Christ rose again and conquered death, he stepped on the head of the serpent once for all, killing Satan and his work. A death blow. But look at 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Is this unpleasant? Yes, praise the Lord, women, he gave you short memories that have delivered children. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I still remember it vividly. It was not pleasant. So, I'll just stop there before I dig a bigger hole. You de- <laughs> and it says, you desire, you. and then look, another consequence of sin your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There's going to be some tension about who's the head of the home. It's part of the fall of man. By, by the way, this is not who's more important. This is not um, It's not who's on top of and controlling everything. It's about the role and function in the home. Okay, just a little side note there. And then it says in verse 17, And to Adam, he looks directly at Adam, and he points his finger. Well, maybe he didn't, but I can just imagine he did. Adam, Adam, Adam. He's pointing to me too. He says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat all of it all the days of your life. So when you complain about all of the problems we have in Wacom County because of weeds and growth and water and all the problems of the land just blame Adam. And blame your sin as well. All right. So here's the thing. He describes it's going to be difficult. He says in He says curses is the ground because of you and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field by the, sweater, the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For, for, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Do You see the circle of life there. This is exactly what Solomon is pointing to. In verse 13 he says... When he's looked at everything through wisdom's eyes, he looks and he sees all of life and he says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of Adam to be busy with. The idea, by, the word busy there, by the way, is a term the Hebrews used to mean to keep you humble. Did you know that when God created everything and he cursed everything because of sin, he did it to keep us humble? So that we wouldn't live in pride. We need someone to deal with the curse of everything around us. And when Solomon saw that, the first thing he realized, that everything that God gave us is unpleasant. The other part of that is, and goes into verse 14, and that is every pursuit apart from God is, number two, is empty. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is vanity and a striving after wind. It's vanity. It's empty. Every pursuit. The third thing he saw there in the end of the verse is, is that every pursuit for meaning in life without God is like chasing after the wind. You know, did you woke up this morning and the windy rain? Did you try to chase it so you could bottle it up and, and end it? I wish I could. Don't you wish you could just chase the wind and stop it sometimes? Uh, I would be, I'm like, Lord, if I could just stop the wind right now, I could deal with some of the problems on my property, right? Don't you just, sometimes my brain was thinking that all week. Lord, just stop the rain so I can fix the problems that are apparent because of the rain, (laughs) right? He says, every pursuit... It's like chasing after the wind. You can't grab it. It's worthless. It's meaningless. Number four. Every pursuit is crooked, is a crooked pursuit, which will never be straightened. Look at verse 15. That And Solomon is known for his Proverbs, and he says this. He says, What is crooked cannot be made straight. Right? You can't, perfectly. It's like a coat hanger. I mentioned this before in an illustration. You unwind a coat hanger to use it to either break into your car, hopefully it's your car, not somebody else's car, (laughs) unless they ask you to help, you know. (laughs) I try not to do any breaking. I just try to get in. So you unwind your coat hanger, and heaven forbid, I've been told by, and and the look of shame when I told the plumber I used the coat hanger to pull out the clog, right? The plumber just... It's like, you're the one that gives me job assurance and security. <laughs> I ruined the drain seal. But yeah, you, 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 whatever, you use the coat hanger, you undo it and you bend it out. Have you ever tried to put it back together? Yeah, I've tried. It was futile. I, I actually got my, my coat back on the coat hanger and it fell off. I was like, I got it! And I put it and I hung it up and I went out of my office I came back in and the coat was on the floor. It just will never go back to its original place. That's what Solomon is getting at. You can't make what is already crooked straight. Every pursuit, number five, every pursuit lacks meaning so it can never... Be added. This one's a little tricky. It says here, it says, What is lacking cannot be counting. If you don't have it in the first place, you can't add it to your life. He's saying, In every pursuit that he pursued in life, you're not going to find meaning that's going to add to your life. Which goes back full circle what he was applying in verse 13 when he says it's an unhappy business that God has given to us so we answer this question why why did god do this right why did solomon say okay i've per- i found all the answers and it's every pursuit it's just trivial doesn't really add up to any meaning. But there's some really neat things that we learn from his pursuits, and it's this, in the conclusion. The past can't always be changed. It's foolish to fret over what you might have done. You can't go back and change what's already crooked. In your mind, we try. But you can't you can always f- only focus on what is the other conclusion is this is remember <laughs> however uh, remember however god can straighten the twisted when he looks at our twisted lives our striving after the wind our trivial pursuits in life whatever it is work pleasure knowledge wisdom Whatever you're pursuing, and you think that whatever it is is going to make you feel better, and he just, you can't take your life that's already twisted and make it straight. You can't add more meaning to life, which has already a sinful start. But you can remember that God can straighten the twisted and supply what's lacking. That's the beauty of Proverbs 3 5 and 9. Did Solomon know this when he wrote it? Yes, he did. Did he have this in mind? I bet he did have this in mind. I can't say that for sure, but we could speculate. And I don't like to do that very often. I don't like to read between the lines. But when he was reading, when he said, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and then yet he gives us Proverbs 3, 5 through 9. Or verse 8, we'll stop in 8. It says, trust the Lord The Lord can straighten. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Remember what he said? He said he gave the core of his mind, right? He says, I have applied my heart, that's the core of his being, to pursuing everything in life under the sun. And yet now he's telling us the opposite. Trust the Lord with all your heart, with the core of your being, and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't try to make sense out of life. Trust God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will what? Make your paths straight. Guys, when we don't trust God, guess what happens to our path? We look like a drunken sailor, right? <laughs> you know, Jack Sparrow, if you anyway. Yeah, you just, you can't. There's no way to walk a straight line. It's a DUI every time. It's impossible. You try to seek understanding and make sense out of everything in life without trusting God. Your, your walk is not, your life is just not going to be straight. You can't straighten what's already crooked, but God can. Give the core of your life, your heart, your meaning in life to trusting God says, he goes on to say, not only will you make your path straight, be wise, not in your own eyes. Fear the, remember the conclusion of the whole matter? Rob shared that in the end, Solomon said the conclusion is fear God. What is the one thing that Solomon didn't do while he was pursuing everything under the sun? Fear God. He says it here, but fear But be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment. It will be rejuvenating to your bones. Do you know what he's talking about? Those of you that have arthritis, you know what I'm talking about, right? Arthritis is that creaking, aching pain in your bones. I I knew. I know when the storm is coming. The place that I broke my leg in five places. So uh, playing baseball, you know, all those trivial pursuits of a young man is now killing me. My bad back and the aches in my leg. Sometimes I'm limping not because of my back. It's because, and I don't even know I'm limping. It's because I have arthritis in my leg. It's that aching feeling in your bones. That's what he's talking about here. He said, if, if we don't seek out wisdom in our own eyes, but we fear God and we, we keep His commandments, we turn away from evil it will be refreshment. It'll be rejuvenating to your bones. Life won't be so achy. It doesn't mean that you didn't break your bones. It doesn't mean that there's hardships in life. It just means that the achiness of what you're going through in life is going to be different. The next thing that we see in the conclusion is this. God's not going to go back and change the past, but He can change the way the past affects us. Your past doesn't have to affect you the way you think it has to affect you, right? God can use your past for His glory. He can straighten things out. He can use what has happened in the past for His glory. It does not derail God from doing what he wanted to do in the first place in your life. It means that you might have more pain in your life, but in the end, God can make it to where the past doesn't affect us. Now God can use it for his glory. I hear people sharing the testimony, like, man, I, I blamed God, I was angry at God, I was mad at God for all of these things in my life. And then I got to a point in my life where I began to just trust God. And now I see God has brought people in my life and I can say, you know, and they've used their past and they share their testimony and God is being glorified, people are being saved, lives are changing and God now has set, it didn't change the past, but no longer is the past controlling the person. Now God is using the past to affect change in other people. That's that's what God can do. This last one might help you too, and that is this. Is your past an iceberg that sinks you? (laughs) Have you run aground and hit it? Have you let your past sink you? Or is it an anchor that hinders you, that's holding you down? And maybe right now, your past... Let me put it this way, maybe your past is just last week, the sin that you haven't been honest about with God, or the sin that you haven't been honest about with your neighbors, your fellow churchgoers, whatever it is, it's something that you're just not being honest about. Is that the iceberg? Maybe last week, yesterday, maybe it's last year or five years, 10 years is that the anchor that's holding you from moving forward with God in your walk with God and to enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord? Maybe that's what, maybe is that an anchor that's keeping you from just being in total love with God and rejoicing and saying, man, God is so good? Or is it a rudder that God uses to guide you forward? Do you remember the point, if you go all the way back to the very first main point? Whenever a believer pursues anything apart from God, right, being at the center of it, he will wind up empty and miserable. You've heard it said this way. You know, God, right, Love God is the the first priority, and then you have second priority and third priority, and you, you have these latter effect of priorities in your life or pursuits. That's, that's wrong. It's God and everything is outside of that, around it. It's God is number one of work. God is number one of school. God is number one of marriage. God is number one. God is number one. It's a difference. It doesn't filter down. It, it is the sole core of pursuit And it will help you navigate this crooked and perverse generation and the world in which we live. That's what's so beauty. That's the main point. And that was the point that Jonathan was beautifully, I love it, he was preaching the conclusion. That's what I love. We're so blessed to have the different young men and men in our church. And I mean, I'll I'll have them up here all day long preaching the conclusion. But Philippians chapter 3, did you see the whole point? Paul says, I was this in the past, but it didn't matter. It counted as nothing. It was rubbish. I was the best, but my past doesn't count. But he, Did you notice what he said? He said, but my one pursuit is what? Christ Jesus, my Lord. My one pursuit is to know Christ my Lord. Solomon has given us an, an excellent. Why, why is all these pursuits that he's going to list, whether it's wisdom, whether it's pleasure, whether it's these, all these different philosophies? By the way, I am shocked as I've studied this I've, and I re- began to listen to some other um, old theologians from way past that Solomon is identifying some major philosophical ideas that has that have been pursued over the years before anybody else pursued them again showing us his wisdom that he was given by God all i'm going to say is in the introduction if you're not pursuing Christ nothing else will make sense Christ is coming What is He going to find you pursuing when He comes? Because as many have said, and I'll tell you now often, and that is this, that we are closer to the end than we are at the beginning of the end. It's not the beginning of the end. It's closer to the end of the end. God is going to come. No matter what your opinion is about end times, He is coming. And it is obvious that He is returning. What will He find you pursuing? Because Solomon says it's all trivial compared to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to proclaim Christ. I love the fact that you have worked in so many lives to realize it's not what we do in the flesh. It's not what we can gain in life. It's about who we have in life. He who has Jesus Christ has life. He who does not have Christ does not have life. And Lord, it's it's not a matter whether we know about you, it's whether we have you. Many people have heard that it's said, do I have a relationship with Christ? If you don't have a relationship with Christ, then you really don't know Christ. God didn't come for us to have religion and and to know a lot of good things. That's all trivial. He came to die for us that we might have life with him together with him and because he died and we are together with him we also died our sin is dead and because our sin is dead with him and he rose again we can be with him in his resurrection one day because our life is tied to his life thank you lord that not only that you died for us but that you rose for us Because if you had not risen from the dead and you are not alive, then our salvation would be incomplete. You would have never conquered death. We would still be facing death. Thank you for running the race before us and setting the good news at the end that you have won the race. You have finished. You have given us the faith Lord, I pray that right now, if there's someone here that needs to make a decision for you, and and they they need to admit that you are not the core value of their life, that you are not seeking to pursue Christ, but they're pursuing other trivial pursuits in life, that they will just right now, as we prepare our hearts, as we sing, as this time of invitation, as we sing, that they would be prompted by your Spirit, that they would be invited to just give that to you to be honest, to admit. Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness if we confess. Maybe someone's here and they need to, during this time of invitation as we sing, confess that you are Lord and that they need to seek no one else anymore, but they need to stop and surrender their life to you and be saved from their sin. And grasp a hold of the gift that Christ gave them when he died and rose again. That he conquered the grave. We need, we need God. We can't be perfect. We'll never be perfect. We're crooked. But God can straighten us through the Lord Jesus Christ, through what he did, his work. Have you believe that you put your faith and trust in that and stop trying to understand everything in life. Just rest fully in him. And he'll raise you up. He'll save you from your sin. Lord, I thank you for the work that you are doing. May it continue to grow in our hearts and in our minds and then in our feet. May we be a light to our city, to our county, to the world that you are God and that Christ died for us and paid for our sin and he rose again and that we're waiting for you to come again. May we be a light of your good work. In Jesus' name we pray.